Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien. Episode five, we welcome Sergeant Deborah Kalish, Community Relations Manager with the Johns Creek Police Department. Deborah's company, New You Defense, has a self-defense program geared towards women and young ladies called Ready. And Ready actually stands for Recognizing, Empowering, and Defending Yourselves. And I think that's great. Debbie has some fantastic information about tools and tactics that women and young ladies can use should they ever find themselves in a situation where they're needing to defend themselves, including how to carry themselves and what to look for in their day-to-day lives so as to help them avoid those types of situations to begin with. Hi, Debbie. How are you? Hey, how are you? I'm great. I'm good. I'm so glad you came on today. Thanks for being with us. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This thanks. is a great opportunity to talk to everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on and thanks for our listeners for listening in. So we want to talk about your program ready and all the aspects of that and women's self-defense in general. Yes. So uh, before we get started and do the deep dive, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, what your experience is and, and why this is important to you. Okay. Well, um, I am a police officer. I've been doing this now for almost 24 years. In December, I should be going on 24 years. And I uh, started off my career working at the Fulton County Police Department. I uh, was a patrol officer for several years. I went down and worked narcotics for a while as a detective. Then I switched over and went as a general detective and ended up specializing in crimes against women and children at our uh, major case division. And then when my kids were young, I had an opportunity to move over to the school and do the school police thing for a little while. And that kind of put me more into the community phase and teaching these kind of classes and coming up with things for the students. So I went there and I worked there for a few years and kind of put me up in the Johns Creek area. So when the city of Johns Creek came about, they asked me if I wanted to come over and run their community services unit for them. So basically what I do now from my job is all these kind of classes, women and teen self-defense classes and any kind of community relations, kids safety classes, all of that good stuff with the city. Cool. So you're kind of the forward, forward face of the department. Yeah, we do a lot of um, anything out in the community. Um, we run our social media and all that good stuff with it. It's um, it's a great city to work for. Absolutely love being there, and I I have an opportunity to get in front of a lot of people and teach them what I feel is you know some really important things. Okay, so I have to ask before we move on. So I did my research ahead of time, and I saw that you were an MP. Explain that. How did you wind up doing oh, that? Oh, yeah. So I started off, I always, I wanted to be a cop since I was about mm, seventh grade. And when I was in high school, I decided, I'm not exactly sure where it came from, but I decided I was going to go into the Army National Guard. And I joined the Army National Guard at 17. 
and went to basic training in between my junior and senior year in high school and came back, graduated high school, and went back for the AIC military police part of it. And I spent 10 years in the Army National Guard. And it was great. Yeah. So what made you want to be a police officer in the first place? You said you joined up uh, the Army National Guard at 17. What made you want to be a police officer? I had some older um, friends that were officers in the town I grew up in. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, they got to drive fast and help people and <laughs> all the good stuff that goes with it. I mean, as a kid, that's a, that's what you see. You know, ultimately, it comes down to wanting to be able to help people and really make a difference in somebody's life. Absolutely. understand completely. So let's talk about your company and what you're doing with women and teen young girls, self-defense classes and learning the ropes there. Your company is New You Defense, you as in the letter U. Uh, no yeah. reason to try to spell that out. Um, and your program that you've just recently renamed is Ready, R-E-A-D-Y, Recognizing, Empowering, and Defending Yourself. Yes. So um, I started New Year's Defense because teaching at the police department, I, I teach these classes all the time. And I had so many people asking for, we just, we can't teach enough of them. So I, I decided to go out and start the company. And like you said, I just recently named the program. Um, it, I just used to call it Women and Teen Safety and Self-Defense. And I wanted to give it more of an identity. So me and one of the women that I work with sat down one day and we were trying to look at the program and what it does and what it stands for. And we came up with the name Ready, Recognizing, Empowering, and Defending Yourself. So it is like recognizing, recognizing intentions without denial, empowering, so empowering yourself with the knowledge and the tools to handle a crisis, and always listening to your instincts and knowing your surroundings, defending, being able to defend against those who want to do harm to you, and then yourself, you are the most important person and take care of you. And that, to me, was important, too, because a lot of women, particularly, forget to take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think that empowering piece and reminding everyone, anyone for that matter, to listen to their gut and their instincts is is important. Absolutely. Okay, so I know we were talking uh, earlier in preparation to this podcast, and we were talking about the fact that I think so oftentimes people think it's going to be some masked, you know, black ski mask, masked guy in a leather jacket and black pants and black boots jumping out from behind the bushes or nabbing you in the parking lot downtown. And possible, you know, that's completely possible, but more than likely 90% of the time, it's going to be someone closer to you, especially when it comes to women, it's going to be someone, you know, either family relative or an acquaintance. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah. It, when it comes to, especially when you're looking at rapes and stuff like that, date rape is absolutely a horrible problem with women when you're looking at especially college-age students and and dealing with that kind of stuff. But it's not just 
you know, like you said, it's not just the person who's going to jump out of the bushes at you. It is somebody, and you might not even know them, but somebody that you're going to allow to get too close to you that is going to be able to take advantage of you and hurt you because you allowed them to get too close. Yeah, I was reading the other day that, to your point, that I the, the highest at-risk group of women is somewhere between the ages of 18 and 24. Does that sound about right? Yeah, there you go. Right in the middle of going to college. You know, I personally uh, knew two women that were date raped in college. And I don't think we do enough to prepare our girls growing up on how to protect themselves and what to do. And, you know, kind of reiterating over and over again how not to put yourself in a bad position or make yourself more vulnerable to these kinds of issues. Yeah, you make a really good point because I think college, and I was thinking about this again, getting ready for today and that, you know, I think college puts us all, if we go to college, right smack dab into an environment where situations that we wouldn't otherwise give a second thought to or may not even know to give any thought to we're putting ourselves in those situations more than we really should. And it's not ironically until we get out of college and grow up and learn some things that those situations are some of the very situations we should have avoided, like the frat parties and drinking to excess and not paying attention to our drinks and who's giving them to us and all of those sorts of things. Right. You know, and I did it myself when I was in high school and I, I came very close to being raped by putting myself in a position that I shouldn't have done and I wasn't even thinking about it. And yes, I was I was drinking and I had gone to a party and the way it was, the party was down in the basement and it was kind of detached from the house area. And I had gone up into the house to use the restroom by myself. And there were people in the house when I had gone in there and when I came out of the restroom, um, just the the guy who lived there at the house was in there, and he decided at that time he was going to take me into the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think about it to this day, how lucky I was through the grace of God that I mean, between literally fighting with him um, to the point where he was trying to drag me into the bedroom and I fell against the door frame and I, my arm was bruised and, you know, trying to talk him out of it. And, you know, I got out of it, but I should have never been in that position in the first place. Yeah, I should have never gone up by myself. You know, I tell all the girls in my classes, when you get in college and you're doing this stuff, you stay together. Always, always, always stay together. You know, just don't give somebody the opportunity to take advantage of you. And don't get me wrong. It is never, ever the victim's fault. It is never the victim's fault. But there are things that we can do to try to prevent from putting ourselves in a vulnerable position that we can become a victim. Yeah. And and I mean, that's a great point. It's, It's not the victim's fault ever. And, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know because you don't think about having to worry about things like that. And your parents didn't necessarily 
teach you or tell you, hey, these are the sorts of things you need to be on the lookout for. And if they did, you may not have even been able to understand what they were talking about having not experienced it before. So, you know, it's important. The good news is, is that nothing bad happened in that situation beyond what did happen and that now there's an opportunity to get information and have programs like this and yours out there for people to get information from and be able to do something about it to defend themselves if they find themselves in those situations. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. And that might be part of the reason why I'm so passionate about teaching, you know, girls how to protect themselves and more importantly, recognize dangerous situations and avoid them. Yeah, you know, now that you've brought that up, I, I had this plan run down this bullet list. It's your bullet list, but that makes me want to jump around. And, you know, you've got this in, in, in your program, you've got this section called What You Don't Know Can Hurt You. And uh, one of your top points is, and one of the top points that I'm always talking about is situational awareness and paying attention to your surroundings. And it's got everything to do with how you carry yourself to not just going, avoiding the dark alleys and not going down the dark alleys, but knowing, you know, the parties that you may not want to be going to when you're in college and things like that. So let's, let's talk about this for a minute. And what, what you don't okay. know can, can hurt you. Absolutely. Um, you know, criminals are always assessing their victim's vulnerability. And you got to see, when you look at criminals, they don't want to get caught. So it's almost like a scale where they're weighing their options. You know, is this person uh, paying attention to me? They, do they know what's going on around them? Uh, did they see me? And so many times, especially today with people on their cell phones and they're not paying attention. And I've read a lot of stuff on, you know, people were specifically picked because they were on their cell phones. But they have no idea what's going on around them. You know, there there have been studies done over the years where they've videotaped people walking down the road and taken this video into the prison to show criminals, like, pick your victims. And they all pick the same people. And it has nothing to do with your sex necessarily and your race, how tall or short you are, what you're wearing. It really has to do with the way somebody pays attention to their surroundings. There's some key, key factors here. It's your surroundings. It's the way you walk. And eye contact. And those things and listening to your instincts are the four main parts that will keep you safe. Yeah. People sometimes don't understand when we'll talk about it, but even if you're not alert, just looking like you're alert and how you carry yourself can mean the difference between whether or not you're chosen as a victim or potential victim or not. Absolutely. Your walk is so important. And it's a very hard thing to change. People, you know, if you just look at people and you study and watch them, people have their own flow, their own walk and the way they do it. And if you shuffle your feet or you're kind of uneven, you're more apt to be chosen as a victim. So what I tell my uh, women and teens is what you have to do is, one, you got to pretend like you know what you're doing and you have a purpose. So walk with confidence. Walk with a purpose. I completely agree. So 
put your shoulders back, put your head up, make eye contact with people. And I'm not saying that you have to stare at them or, you know, it's just you look at them, you let them know that you saw them. Yeah. And you keep on going. And the more you can do this, the better off you will be. And, you know, actually, even if you're faking it, it's, it's not, it's one of those things where if you fake it enough, people are going to start to treat you like you're more confident and then you become more confident. Absolutely. So it, it is really about those four things, listening to your instincts, knowing what's going on around you. Uh, your instincts are everything. And, you know, from the time we are born, we are learning how to read body language. And people just don't understand it. So when, when the hair on the back of their neck is standing up or they got that gut feeling something's wrong, they don't, they're like, oh, you know, I don't want him to think that I'm judging him or I'm thinking badly about him or, you know, I say him because typically it is a him. Um, people don't want to think like they're judging people. So they kind of go into denial about what they're seeing and what they're feeling. And they ignore their instincts and they'll walk right into danger ignoring your instincts. So when you look at animals and the way they react to danger, and we are the only animals on this planet that really ignore our instincts and will walk right into danger. Ignore all the signals, even though they're right there. And I was listening to something a few weeks ago that, you know, was talking about that very thing where the victim said, well, I, I just knew it. I just knew it. And the person that was interviewing him said, yeah, but you did it anyway. You know, I think that's such an important thing is not, not to ignore those, those little gut tingly spidey senses, as you call them. No, absolutely. You can't. And denial, I talk about denial in the program. It's, it's kind of a big piece of it about how we as human beings will go into denial. It's what we what we want to believe because you don't want to believe that something bad is about to happen. It's our natural instinct to think, oh no, 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 that's that's not right. You know, you don't want to go there. For instance, if you look at different things where people were in a situation or there was a shooting and people say, you know, I, I thought it was fireworks. And when you go back and you listen to it, and they knew it was not fireworks. They're just going into denial because your brain has a hard time accepting something bad is about to happen. Yeah. What are you going to do to kind of fight that, that denial? One, the quicker you get out of it, and get on to, okay, recognizing what's going on right in front of you, the better off you're going to be. So with, with denial comes the stress response that the body has. And everything that happens to your body under stress, as soon as your heart rate goes up, your ability to think goes down. And that's just a proven fact. It happens to you. It happens to me. You know, even after almost 24 years in law enforcement, if if I get in a situation where my adrenaline goes up, my stress level goes up, things happen. So, you know, you're looking at most people under their average 
you would say between what 70 80 beats per minute is their normal heart rate yeah the higher you go up your abilities start diminishing so when you get to about 120 beats per minute that's probably your range of heart rate where you're going to do your best on fighting off somebody that's kind of the area where people said oh i've got got that superhuman strength but when you start getting up into you know the high 160s into 170s your body can just shut down and freeze i mean you might even lose control of your bowels at that point so there's things that you have to try to do to bring down your heart rate and get control over the stress on your body at that moment. And one of the things that we teach is how to uh, combat breathe. And combat breathing is one of those things where if you take a deep breath in and you hold it, you say one, two, three, four, you know, you count to four, and then you let it out and you count to four again and you breathe in. And if you can do that, a couple of times it will actually bring your heart rate down between 20 and 30 beats per minute which will give you the ability to think better and make a good decision i'm so glad you're talking about how to combat those things because the one thing that kind of is frustrating to me you know we talk about that when your body experiences stress and you have that dump of adrenaline you know you don't know how to do it and that's when the whole fight or flight thing occurs right but they talk about auditory exclusion where you can't hear you develop tunnel vision you lose you lose your fine motor skills which means it's important that you're not depending on finger movement you're you're you know you're going to need to know how to use more gross motor skills larger movements but the other thing that i read some time ago and i haven't had anybody confirm or deny it is that in addition to the auditory exclusion the tunnel vision and the fine motor skill loss I read somewhere where it said the average person's IQ in that scenario actually drops down to 70. Now, I don't, I ha- that's the first time I'd read that, and I forget where I saw that, but actually IQ changes and it drops. So, the, you know, the, the point that I was trying to make is that in training, it's very difficult to initiate those things in training, right? Something really bad would actually have to be happening to you for you to ha- experience that level uh, you know, to be able to experience those sorts of things. But I think to your point, the good news is, is that we can train how to combat them. And obviously, uh, one being breathing. So I'm glad you touched on that. Okay. So yeah, what happens to your body and, um, the auditory exclusion, you know, I've gone through all these in my career as a police officer. I've, I've had, auditory exclusion where I didn't hear radio talking to me and saying that they were sending somebody when I said I need another officer. I've had tunnel vision where all of a sudden I saw the gun and it was like, look, there's the gun and you don't see. And for an officer, it can be very dangerous because you don't see the other things that are around the sides of you. Um, This happens to officers over and over and over again, if you look at uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, his his research on the stress and what happens to officers who typically train and train and train and train to try to ward off what happens to your body under stress and it still happens. So what we can do, and the only thing we can do is train. 
And you have to be able to look back on something because one of the ways to kind of combat it other than your, your breathing is to look and say, okay, I need to do some mental scripting. And that would be having a plan and kind of running through scenarios in your brain, what you're going to do if this happens. So, for instance, when I was on the street as an officer and I would just, let's say, I'd drive up to the corner and I'd be at the red light and I would look to the side and if there's a convenience store, I said, what would I do if the convenience store was being robbed right now? How am I going to react? And I would mentally script what I would do and how to respond. Because it's great when you get the 911 call and you got your little checklist in your head that was going off like, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, I've got this, check, 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 check. But when it happens to you right in front of you, it's different. It's, it's different for everybody. So you have to kind of mentally script, okay, if I'm sitting on my couch in my living room and somebody kicks in the door, the back door, the front door. What am I going to do? It's so funny because you I mentioned can't... that. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say it's so funny that you bring that one up because I I do that probably not as much. I don't run through those mental scenarios like you say as probably as much as I should, but I do I do think through those and I think okay, I'm sitting in my leather chair with my feet on my ottoman watching a movie and someone kicks in my front door. What am I going to do? <laughs> so yeah, I I know it seems weird. Yeah, but. If you think about these things ahead of time, you will help yourself out tremendously when it comes to a real situation because you're not trying to figure out what to do under a crisis. You know, I tell people about it's the same thing. If, you know, if you're going to carry a weapon, even pepper spray, you need to have two. You take one. And you go practice and you learn how it works. You learn how to unlock it. You, you see how far away you have to be. You practice, all that stuff. Yeah. So when it's under a crisis situation, the very first time you're not trying to figure out how to unlock the pepper spray is when you're shaking so bad that you're going to end up spraying yourself in the face with it. Or, or you know, dropping it. Or dropping it, yes. So the time to figure these things out hopefully would be in a non-crisis situation and you don't have to harp on it it's not like one of those things that you have to walk around being paranoid about you really don't because the chances of something like that happening to you are, are rare but if you just take a moment to look around and and think well what if this happens no eh, this is what i would do it's always it, mental scripting is a very powerful tool and it, it helps you prepare for things yeah. And it, it's so important because that all comes down to the planning, you know, in the self-defense community, it's impossible to train for every possible scenario that could occur, right? Because most of self-defense is sure it's, you'll talk about situations and scenarios, but it's mostly focused on the techniques to use to plan to get away. Right. But there's no way to train for all those things. So by thinking about those scenarios and scripting for yourself what you would do or the options that you would have available to you to do is so important because if you can't train, then the planning and kind of getting a mental plan in place is the next most important, best piece to do. And really, that's all, that's all you have. I mean, you can't 
set up training where you're going to have somebody go in and, and attack you just randomly. That right. isn't really realistic. Yes. Um, you know, I, I tried to put some pressure on the women at the end of the class and I, I make them close their eyes and I'll, I'll walk around and I'll hit the bag so it makes the noise and you can see them jump and I'm, I'm intentionally trying to make their heart rate go up a little bit. Sure. And as they're doing this, I'm saying, okay, we taught you how to do some stuff, a couple moves, basic moves, because I'm, I'm not getting into any kind of crazy stuff. You're not going to remember it. It's basic gross motor skill moves. And I say, think about, have your plan in your head. What are you going to do? So when I tap them on the shoulder, they've got a plan in their head how to react. Sure. And that's, that's what I want them to do. I, I want to put a little bit of pressure on them. I want them to have that plan. I said, all right, think about three moves. Three things you're going to do when I tap you on the shoulder. I tap them on the shoulder and they jump and go to it. Go to it. But you get, you got to have, I'm hoping, you know, I only teach them five things. That's not the main part of the class. The main part of the class is about learning how to get out of denial and listening to your instincts and all those types of things. It, it, They're going to be lucky if they remember maybe three or two or three of the moves that I teach them. That's why I don't get into any of the crazy stuff because without practicing it all the time, you're not going to remember. Yeah, I think that's, and again, I keep saying this because I'm sure we're going to have a lot of good points today, but you know, that's a really great point. The irony of self-defense is, is everyone gets caught up in the techniques because that's the fun and exciting and cool stuff. But just as important, if not more important, is just getting your students to think, right? If you can send them away thinking about stuff or and maybe maybe they've been encouraged to go seek out additional training so they can become more proficient at the physical stuff, but just getting them to think and think about scenarios and think about how they would react, that's as, if not more important than the actual physical stuff anyway. Especially, Absolutely. Especially when you've got a limited time to teach them in a two-hour seminar right absolutely um the whole thing on if if you can do the things that i talk about in the beginning of the class you probably will never even get in a situation where you had to use the other stuff so being able to think and recognize you know that's recognizing what is going on around you and recognizing somebody's intentions and that's the first part you know when i said um are you ready? It's recognizing intentions without denial. So being able to know what's going on and not going into denial and being able to be prepared to react once you see it. Absolutely. So I want to talk about a couple of things that you say that you'll, you teach and you learn about going through your ready training and they seem related to me. So I just want us to kind of deep dive on these. One is, um, defensive mindset. And then the uh, self-defense preparedness and what, how you define those, how, what, what the separation is in those and, and what they are for you and, and what you teach. Okay, so, you know, your mindset is everything. Back to Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, he, he talks a lot about the warrior mindset. And it is so important to have that mindset. And this is what I tell people. 
when somebody comes to attack you, I want you to look at them. And instead of going, help me, help me, I want you to look at them and say, you're about to have a bad day. <laughs> I want your attitude to be like, you just picked the wrong person and it's not going to be me. It's going to be you. And it has to be because your mindset is everything. Your mindset can keep you alive because if you're fighting and at this point, let's just say you're fighting for your life. If you're fighting for your life, if you give up, you're done. You have to be, I am not going to lose. I'm going to, you know, basically what I see is done and run. I'm going to get free and I'm going to survive no matter what. Yeah. It's, it's the mindset. So key, you know, I don't remember the first time I've heard it and I heard it years ago. And then since then I've seen it uh, several times. I think there's even a business or two named after it, but I heard it and I thought it was brilliant. You have to fight like the third monkey trying to get on the ark. And I think that's, I have that slide in the uh, presentation, but like you're that third monkey yeah. on Noah's ark. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and how does yes. that, how does that tie into the self-defense preparedness? Like when I think of those things, I think of the mindset, I think about situational awareness and keeping my head on a swivel, uh, carrying myself right, having those scenarios kind of pre-planned in my head. So if I am attacked or someone approaches me in a way where my spidey sing- senses are going off, I'm ready to go. And then when it's time to go, I go without hesitation is that what we're talking about when you talk about self-defense preparedness and absolutely it's the whole it's the whole package you know knowing recognizing being able to either run and get out because i'm i'm never going to tell somebody to stand there and try to fight if you can leave i mean your whole goal is to get get away and you know i would never teach women or anybody else to stand there and try to go toe-to-toe with somebody it's done them and run so it's the whole package of being ready and being prepared um acknowledging having that mindset that you know this is this is what i need to do this is what i need to recognize when you look at things like intention assessment and you're you're looking at someone and you're trying to figure out what their intentions are you know, if you tell somebody to stop and they still come at you, you already know what their intentions are. Yeah. So you, you need to be prepared at that point to react. Yeah. You know, something, something's not right. So that, that's a good point. And I know you mentioned this, um, um, in, in some of your overview of your classes, I think that's important for women, especially to understand is, you know, it seems like, and even some men too, you know, it's a polite society, right? We've, we've kind of gotten away from our visceral reactions and, you know, bare knuckle fighting and all of that. So we've moved into this overly nice, overly politically correct, concerned people will like us, you know, all those sorts of things. And I think it's hard for women to be prepared to respond in a less than friendly manner, you know, because they don't want to be viewed as, dare I say, the bitch, right? Because that's kind of how socially those things kind of wind up sometimes. Right. But I think it's okay that they know it's okay in those scenarios where all it's, it's no holds bars. It's okay to respond that way to, to yell if you need to and, and respond physically if it gets to that point. You're correct. Absolutely. 
So, you know, you can, and what you said before about what you don't know can hurt you. In that point of letting somebody too close to you, being too nice to them can hurt you. You know, you you look at the, the bad guy that jumps out of the bushes. Well, that's just kind of a bad situation. It's very rare that something like that's going to happen. But you can be walking, let's just say walking on a trail, and somebody approaches you. And because you don't want to be rude, even though your, your instincts are telling you something's wrong and you don't want to be rude, you might have a conversation with them and they walk with you. When in reality, your, your body's telling you something's wrong, this person's not right, you should be getting out of there or telling them to go away. Yeah, go pound sand, pal. Yeah, and, and you, you don't have to be nice about it. And women, you know, we're always taught to be nice. You don't have to be nice when you're feeling that way because ultimately we need to worry about ourselves and they don't have the same kind of fear as a man. You know, when you look at a woman and them being afraid of what can happen to them, they're afraid they're going to be raped or killed. It's not the same for a man. So a man needs to understand if they're feeling uncomfortable and a woman tells you to go away, you need to go away. And then the woman needs to be able to recognize, like I said, immediately that if they don't, there's something wrong and you need to react, whether it be run or be prepared to fight, whatever it is. But you need to recognize their intentions immediately. And and, and not ignore those instincts, that, that hair standing up on the back of the neck or the spidey tingling senses, whatever it may be. No, don't ignore it. Um, when you look at, you know, convicted sex offenders and they, they've talked about picking their victims and all that kind of stuff. And the, some of the things that they have said with the way they're trying to pick their victims and by the vulnerability that they can see with them. You know, even Ted Bundy said he would rape the victim's vulnerability by their facial expressions. So he watched and they watched. And believe it or not, you know, when they say that a woman is dressing provocatively and that she's more apt to be raped, absolutely not true. So when you look back and you look at uh, victims on rape, they're looking for the more vulnerable person. And typically the more vulnerable person is not going to be dressing more provocatively. Those people are usually more confident. Yeah. Because that's, they're more confident to wear those kind of outfits. So, you know, again, it's not on the victim, um, on what they're doing, but that's the whole concept that people tend to think is one way when it really isn't, because they're looking for somebody who's more insecure, somebody who is not as confident, not as likely to be able to fight back. Yeah, the predators have this scale kind of, right, that they use to determine, you know, how likely as a victim are you? Are you going to be a hard target or a soft target? Hard target being someone you don't want to mess with just by how they're carrying themselves or the fact that they're paying attention or maybe they've looked me in the eye and see that I'm, you know, watching them from a distance versus a soft target head down kind of turned into themselves maybe on their smartphone not looking up not paying attention 
those sorts of things. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the one convicted sex offender, his name was Brad Morrison. He had said if he had the the slightest inkling that a woman wasn't someone he could handle, then he would pass them by. I mean, that wasn't somebody that he wanted to deal with. And he raped over 75 women. Wow. So he was looking for somebody he thought he could control. Well, those I mean, situations are all about... Yeah, those situations are usually always about control, right? So you can't control Absolutely. somebody that doesn't look controllable. And that's the first, whether like kind of like meeting someone in the bar, if that's where you're likely to meet someone, right? You don't look across the room and go, wow, they're really smart and intelligent. You, you, you kind of size them up by physical appearance and how they carry themselves. And it's the same thing. Yeah, it really is. So you know, certain things that you can do to reduce your risk. Again, going over like walking with confidence is key. Knowing your surroundings, paying attention to what's around you. You know, don't put yourself in a bad situation. Don't make yourself an easy target. And just remembering that you don't always have to be nice to people. And men need to understand it. Absolutely. So I got a few questions here to wrap things up for us, put you on the spot, maybe, hopefully not. Uh, what is your favorite go-to technique or techniques? If you have three, so be it, but what's, what's your favorite to teach or that you think that's most effective? Okay. So my favorite is an elbow strike. Yes. I love the elbow strike. I teach, especially with my little kids. I give them a special prize during our, our ragtip training at the police department. If they can knock the helmet off one of the guys while they're fighting them. It, it's such a strong hit, even for a little kid. And it hurts so bad when you get hit with it. I absolutely love the elbow strike. So if I can get them to remember that one, because you can do it forward or sideways or backwards. Another easy one for people is a hammer fist. Sure. I don't... I don't teach a straight punch because a lot of people won't hit the right way and they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to break their hand and they're not going to be much use to themselves once they break their hand. So if, if they make a fist and they're able to use, use their fist to hammer down, you can hammer in the face, you can use that you know, again. Even if you're on the ground, you can still use a hammer fist. So those are probably between that and then the knee strike. Those three are my top three favorite. Yeah, I was gonna say if you like elbows, you gotta like knees. So now, how do yep. you how do you uh, you know because in, in fighting and self defense, you know, knees and elbows are typically reserved for those closed distances. You've got to be really close to the person for those to work super effectively. How do you deal with, you know, maybe not allowing, maybe not, of course, things have gotten bad if you're that close. You know, you're all up in my personal space at that point. What about distance? Well, if you can, obviously, you're going to avoid distance. Distance is key about keeping your personal space away from somebody. Now, let's go back to when I said intention assessment. So 
if you said someone told somebody to stay back and they're coming towards you, are you going to back up? You should. Are you going to try to get out of there? You should. You've already told this person to stay back and they're coming at you. You don't need to let them get up on top of you if you can avoid it. But once they're there, what are you going to do? Yeah. Knees and you know, I for, Yeah. And I personally like my, my space. That's what the way we train. We like to have space around us because what's going to hurt you? Yeah. Their hands. So if you can if you can stay back and give yourself some some space, you know. And when one of the things where I said you tell them to stay back, and this is kind of an important point that I want to make. When women tell somebody no, and they tell them to stay back. Let's just say they're trying to help you with something and you, you get that creepy feeling from them and they're not listening to you and they're ignoring you. When you tell somebody no, I want you to swear off on them and I want you to tell them no like you mean it. It's not going to be, oh, thank you. You know, it is no, get away from me. I don't care if you even have to swear at them. That make them think that you're a crazy woman, whatever. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Don't. But you need to tell them no, swear off at them, and, and let them know you mean it, and that you're not weak. Because at that point, they're 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 coming at you and they're invading your space. Yeah, this is the time not to be nice. If you're not going to be nice one time in your life, this is the time to not be nice. Be firm. Yep. So favorite technique, elbow, knees, and hammer fist. If you had to pick a tool for a woman to carry or, and, you know, consideration of teens too, if you had to pick a tool or is there a tool that you would recommend? Okay. So when I talk about weapons or having a tool of some sort, the main thing is training. No matter what you're going to do, you're going to have to train on whether it be pepper spray, a taser, uh, a gun, you have to train and know how to use it. So I kind of like the pepper spray because it's a nasty, nasty beast. You know, you get hit with pepper spray in the eyes and it burns for about 45 minutes. Now it's not going to work on everybody. There are some people out there that it doesn't work on, but it, it does work pretty well. It's easy to carry. Now, ladies, you got to have it in your hand, having it in the bottom of your purse with all the gum wrappers and everything stuck in it and not being able to get to it isn't going to help very much. Right. No. So it's got to be in your hand. And again, you need to know how to use it and what kind. You know, there's different kinds of pepper spray. You have a cone shape that kind of comes out in in a spray mist, which is great for getting the bad guy, but it will also come back on you. You have stream, which is what we use in the police department. And you can stand farther away with a stream and hit somebody, but you have to be a little bit more accurate. I have never used it yet, but I know they have gel. Hmm. And that seems to be like something that I would also recommend because it comes out quite well. And then there's another kind of like foam. So you need to know what kind of pepper spray you're buying. And like I said, buy two. Take it outside, maybe put a paper plate up on the tree. Um, you might want to check which way the wind's going and make sure your neighbors aren't having a barbecue. 
right. and then <laughs> see how far back you have to stand. You know, put a little smiley face on the plate and then aim for the brows. We aim for the brows and let the pepper spray run down into the eye. That's that's a really convenient tool to carry. Uh, when you look at taser, which is an amazing tool, and, you know, all the officers know that we have to get tased. It was literally the longest five seconds of my life when I was getting tased. <laughs> it, it, it is very, very painful. It's a shocking um, experience. About, yeah, it's very shocking. So your muscles are contracting, I believe it's like 19 times a second. And it is extremely painful. Now, the thing about taser, though, is when it's done, it's done. Yes. It, it's the second it stops, it's done. So I've been told that the civilian model of taser goes for 30 seconds. It's like 20 seconds. It stops for a second to give the person a breath, and then it goes for another 10, which is ungodly in my mind after being tased. I can't even imagine. But the whole point between that is they want and they want you to lay it down and run and get away. Yeah, get away. So they're giving you more time. Yes. Now, I need to make something clear because a lot of people don't realize this, that a taser and a stun gun are two different things. In the movies... <laughs> Or on TV, they always have the stun gun, and they walk up, and they hit somebody in the arm with it, and the person goes down on the ground, they start jerking around like a funky chicken, and it doesn't work that way. <laughs> That's not the way a stun gun works. A stun gun is hurting you right in that one section that they got hit. And is it better than nothing? Yeah, absolutely. It's better than having nothing. But a person can also overpower through that, too. And they're not going to jerk on the ground and and roll around and, you know, have convulsions from it. The taser are the barbs that come out and stick into the muscle. And the way it works is it has to get in between the big muscle groups and make your muscles contract. So it's a, it's a different entity. And I just want to make sure everybody realizes the difference between it. Because most people think when I say taser, it's the thing that you just walk up and you touch them on the arm with it. Yeah, the, you're, you're talking more like the taser guns that have the cartridges that you, you know, they're one-time yep. use. You fire the cartridges, there's little barbed darts that come out on on uh, basically wired cable that stick into the muscle tissue and then current flows through the wire into those, into those bar, barbed needles, pins, whatever, to deliver the juice. But once that cartridge has been used you don't wind up those wires and reuse it again the next time you have to replace those cartridges. And so that's something to keep in mind when you're practicing, if you're going to try to practice aiming and shooting yours is that be prepared to have spare cartridges for those too. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully podcast is going to reach some folks. You're doing your thing too. How do you get, so getting the message out there that you're available in this program is good for women and teens and, and, um, whatnot. How do those that are unsure about whether or not they want to go through something like this, or they think they're going to get scared or it hits too close to home because maybe they've had a close call or maybe they've been through something, which we know has happened in a lot of instances. What would you say to the audience to get them to, to come, to learn, to see, to experience okay, a program so like yours? The way you got to look at it, the best way to, one, avoid being a victim in the 
first place is just to be prepared all around. And I always kind of look at it this way. From the time we're little kids, and I hate to say the fire department beats us in anything because <laughs> it's I'm a cop. Right. Um, but the fire department kicks our butt when it comes to this stuff. You learn how to stop, drop, and roll. The first thing you do when you get in kindergarten, you know, if you're on fire, what do you do? Stop, drop, and roll. They've got fire safety all in schools. You practice fire drills and all that stuff. But do you walk around being afraid you're going to get catch on fire? No. You you got to be prepared. So it's the same thing. You know, I don't want everybody walking around thinking that they're going to be jumped or something bad's going to happen to them but you need to be prepared and it's and the more you're prepared the less afraid you are yeah it's not about paranoia it's about simply being prepared and knowing what to do in in the unlikely event that something bad could happen or can happen uh so how can people find out more how can people find you reach out to you Okay, so they can go to newyoudefense.com. And like you said before, it's new with the letter U, defense. Well, listen, Debbie, this has been great. I hope our audience gets a lot from this and takes away something. If nothing else, like we said before, it's making them think and hopefully making them think about coming to see you or somebody to learn maybe a little bit more than they thought they already knew or anything new that could help them out. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today, for sure. Thank you. And I'm so glad to be here and have an opportunity to hopefully reach some listeners and give them some good tips on how to keep themselves safe. Absolutely. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And thanks for all of our listeners, too. Absolutely. Thanks so much. I wanted to take a minute here and thank our listeners. If this is your first time listening into the Self-Initiative Project podcast, thank you for coming and listening. We hope you'll go back and get caught up to where we are now with episode five. If you've been with us from the beginning, we really appreciate you listening in. And if you're getting useful information for this and think that this is good information to get out there, we would love it if you'd share us and tell your friends and family about us so they can maybe get some information too. But in either case, we wanted to thank you for listening in and and following us. And keep listening because we've got some exciting stuff coming up as well. Thanks so much.